the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my office here in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale Avenue. If you're familiar with that area, uh, right across the street from a firehouse. And uh, that's always a comfort to me. If a fire ever breaks out in my building here, the uh, firefighters are literally about 50 yards away. So something tells me we could get a fire under control pretty quickly having a fire station that nearby. Uh, It does mean that occasionally when I'm broadcasting, you can hear the fire trucks leaving. Uh, Even though it's out the front door of my office and across the ways, and I broadcast from the back of my office, sometimes you can still hear the sirens uh, as they leave. Doesn't happen that often, fortunately. Fortunately for them, and fortunately for me, but uh, it does happen occasionally. Uh, I'm still considering whether or not to have um, an estate planning workshop in September. I haven't settled on a date yet, uh, or whether I'm going to do a physical in-person workshop, which is a distinct possibility, or whether I'm going to do a, uh, a workshop on Zoom with everybody uh, coming in on Zoom and then sharing my screen and doing it that way and then recording it so that it can be um, uh, rebroadcast at a later time. Uh, this all remains to be seen. I may actually just record my workshop and then have it available on demand for anybody who wishes to watch it, along with the paperwork that I pass out at the workshop being available for download ahead of time. So uh, we'll see a lot of exciting things here. Um, I'm enjoying being able to do workshops again. It, It had been a long time since I was able to do that because of COVID, and now being able to do that back in person is uh, is really good. The only issue is having to do it with a mask on, which I find unfortunately very limiting and uh, hard to hear. A lot of people who are hard of hearing, as I have become, um, rely a lot on being able to see someone's mouth move when they're talking to help interpret what someone's saying. If someone can't see my mouth moving when I'm presenting, or talking to an audience, it can be very difficult for people to follow me. So, um, it, with that with that in mind, I, I I still will be doing workshops, 
and we'll just have to uh, struggle through the uh, the difficulty of hearing and being heard. Um, I'm finding that's very difficult for me now, is uh, actually hearing. I think some of my hearing was impacted uh, by the stroke that I had back in February that I'm working on recovery from right now. Uh, my hearing, the lower register of my hearing appears to have diminished quite a bit, and I think that may be uh, an effect of the stroke. Not quite sure, but it does mean it's harder for me as a person to understand what someone's saying if they have a mask over the over the lower half of their face because it, then it sounds something like this when they're talking and I can't really understand what they're saying. See, that's the point. That's kind of what I hear a lot of the times when uh, I'm talking with someone and they have to wear a mask because they're compelled to do so. Good news, though, for my children. They are back in school. They've been back in school for a week and a half now. They are live, in person, in class. They do have to wear masks, and they do have to uh, practice social distancing. Um, they can't all gather together uh, at recess or at lunch. Uh, they have to spread out when they do that. And some of the kids end up, uh, uh, they brought beach towels. They were told to bring beach towels to spread out on the ground in the eating area for eighth grade, which is separate from the rest of the school. And so they get to take turns sitting at the tables or eating on the ground. And um, so far, so good. Uh, we made it through the first week and a half with nobody in eighth grade testing positive, which would have sent the entire eighth grade home to quarantine for 10 days. Uh, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed and praying every day that they'll be able to make it through this school year without having any quarantine time at all. Because um, this is an important year for eighth graders uh, in a couple of months. Um, two, three months, they will be applying for high school. Uh, they do want to go to high school, um, a specific high school here in San Jose, and they have to apply for it. So their grades from last year and the grades from their first uh, trimester of this year are important to them. So hopefully they'll be able to complete their first trimester in person with in-person instruction, which is always more effective. Um, I can tell you, those of you who had kids go through Zoom instruction last year, it really doesn't work that well at all. Uh, and and it is, I think it's actually destructive to children's uh, ability to learn, to their mental health, which can lead to destruction to their physical health as well. And I'm just grateful that they're back in person in school. And hopefully um, most of you out there, especially if you have children in school, you agree with me on this point. Um, In-person instruction cannot be minimized. Uh, it, it has to be the maximum possible for our children. Now, I will take calls today if you'd like to call in. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 if anyone calls my engineer standing by will let me know and put you through to talk with me. Um, barring anybody calling, I'm going to go through some more questions and comments from around the state of California. 
actual situations that people are dealing with throughout the state. And uh, what I do, if you've just joined us for the first time, I present the situation and then I give commentary on it uh, as an estate planning attorney, uh, what the issues may be, and then even some analysis and uh, and uh, often uh, maybe some potential solutions for the problem that's presented. So the first one here is, uh, the question was asked out of Oroville, California. Does an irrevocable trust or will legally have to be filed or lodged 30 days after death? If so, by whom? And what if it never was? Well, first of all, you never take a trust and lodge it or file it anywhere. That's. Uh, but if someone had a will, a last will and testament, legally whoever has possession of that will must lodge it or file it with the probate court in the county where the person was resident. Um, and the reason for that is so that it's available to anyone who needs to see a copy of that will or wants a copy of that will to actually go to court and obtain a copy. Uh, and there's a 30-day requirement to do that. If it never was filed, then whoever had the will can have legal liability for any actual losses suffered by someone who might be an heir or beneficiary because of the failure for them to be able to get a copy of the will. Not sure what that might be, but there can be potentially a very serious penalty for someone if they fail to lodge or file the will. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When I come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman, and I will talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, here's one that uh, may not be uh, an uncommon situation. So I'm going to share it here. It's out of Napa, California. And someone asked the question, in California, what happens if one of two parents dies prematurely before providing for a will to pass property on to that parent's children? So, if adult children have only one parent who is kind to them, but that's the parent who dies suddenly before providing a will for the family money in an account plus remaining real estate, are the children stranded without their inheritance? For example, if the mean parent decides to hoard it all without sharing anything. Well, if there is no will of any kind, that's called dying intestate. If everything is owned by a couple as community property, meaning property of the marriage, then community property, by law, would 100% pass to the surviving spouse. If we're talking about a bank account in real estate that is separate 
property of the spouse that died. Maybe it was brought into the marriage before the marriage. Maybe it was a separate inheritance received during the marriage. But it has been kept separate from the marriage the whole time. Then the law looks and divides that property under the law, because there's no will, between the surviving spouse and the children. With it being divided 50-50, or equal shares if there's a surviving spouse and one child, that is the child of the spouse that died. And if there's two or more children, then the surviving spouse would receive one-third of the property, and then the two or more children would split the other two-thirds of the property. Uh, those are part of the laws of intestate succession, which is fancy legal language for who gets your stuff when you die if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a will, if you don't have a trust that owns your property. You just have done nothing at all, and you pass away. That's intestate, meaning no will, succession, meaning who succeeds to the property, who receives the property, in this case, who inherits the property. Okay, out of Concord, and this one is, uh, this one actually has a pretty straightforward answer, So, but let me take you through the situation. My daughter's father passed away in March. He was not very active in her life, lived in another state, and was not on the birth certificate. So I would pause right there and uh, ask, ask the question, how do we know, other than you telling us, that your daughter's father uh, is the person in the other state? You know, presumably you know, you know he is the father, but he's not on the birth certificate. Um, how was the relationship established? It says, my daughter gets survivor's benefit from him um, dying of cancer. Okay, I have another child with my fiancé. And because I work longer hours, he drops off and picks up my daughter from school. To make things easier until we get married next year, how would he get to be a legal guardian to her? Okay. All right. So he, this person kind of shifted the emphasis. I don't know why the other child with the fiancé is even relevant, is not relevant to the question. She, this person wants to know, how do I make things easier for my fiancé to be a legal guardian to my daughter whose father passed away. If my fiancé adopts her, well, he could adopt her, presuming that would be permitted, and then she would be his child and therefore guardian. You could do a nomination of guardian where you actually nominate your fiancé to be the guardian for your child, uh, for your child that's not his child, and then, um, then the next question would be, um, well, let's see. And the question is, if my fiance adopts her, does her social security benefits stop? I don't know the answer to that. I, I think probably not, because I think those are dependent on losing her father. 
and uh, and just because she ends up with a new father, if she's adopted, I don't know that that somehow removes the relationship that existed before. I don't know the answer for sure, but I suspect the answer is that would not impact any Social Security benefits being received because her father died, which, by the way, is something that is available uh, if children are minors. Uh, If a minor child loses a parent, then the child may be eligible to receive Social Security benefits until the child is an adult. It is certainly something worth looking into if you see yourself in that situation. If you have lost your spouse or you have uh, lost the the parent other parent of your child that you share a uh, you share parentage with um, check into that because if your child is a minor they may be eligible for some fairly significant social security benefits at least until they have grown up and they're adults so if they're minors certainly worth checking into Okay, let's see here. Um, All right, here in California, out of Monterey, must the executor of a will provide a copy of the will along with a copy of the person's trust and amendments to the trust to the beneficiaries? Well, the short answer is, first of all, whoever is the executor of a will... has a legal requirement to file or lodge that will with the court. Presumably this is in Monterey County. There is no requirement that the executor of the will actually provide a copy of the will to anybody because they file it with the court and anybody could go in and get a copy of that will if they wanted to. But if there is a trust and it's now irrevocable because someone has died, there's a legal requirement that the trustee of the trust provide a copy of the terms of the trust to everybody who's a named beneficiary in the trust and everybody who would have inherited from the person if there was no trust, because that could be different groups of people. Uh, That even includes someone who may have been disinherited by the trust, by the person who created the trust. That's probate code section 16061.7, and I send notices out that like that uh, to beneficiaries whenever I do a trust administration. Coming up on the mid-show break, when we return, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. See you on the other side. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back to the third segment of our show today. I'm going to go on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Out of Long Beach, California, said, I'm the beneficiary of my mother's trust. In it, she had a house that sold for $740,000 and my income is about $19,000 a year. What would be my capital gains? I'm trying to see if all people pay the same, or does it come out uh, altogether? Do we each have different capital gains tax amount? Um, Well, I'll start first by saying 
if mom's house was in her revocable living trust and she owned it directly through that trust at her death, then the value of the house on the date of her death becomes the new cost basis for income tax purposes. What that means is if the house was worth $740,000 the day that she died and then it sold for $740,000, if you do not net out from the sale of that property more than the new cost basis, the date of death value, there will be no repeat, no capital gains tax. That's a huge benefit. Now, notice I'm not talking about real property tax. I'm not talking about estate tax, although if this is all mom had, there'd be no federal estate tax. There would be no capital gains tax unless mom's house was sold a couple of years later for a lot more than it was worth on the date that she died, then there might be some capital gains tax on the amount of the gain over and above what it was worth the date that she died. So for this person, your income doesn't matter. The likelihood is that you'll be able to take that inheritance and hopefully use it to invest for your future, your retirement, maybe to get your own home, maybe move to another part of the country and buy some home outright. Uh, it's very expensive here in California. Um, and that means that uh, as long as you take care of it, you might be able to set yourself up for retirement in the future uh, and uh, and do it, have it properly invested and actually uh, do quite well and not worry about a successful retirement in the future. Okay, so I'm going to skip that one because it's not uh, not relevant here. Okay. My mother and father created a revocable living trust in 2011. It was an AB trust, which means it's split into two pieces. Um, my mother passed in 2012, and her half of the property went into an irrevocable trust. And my father became the trustee of that irrevocable trust. In 2018, my father granted his own personal durable power of attorney to my cousin. That's the power of attorney for finances. Can my father be both the successor trustee for my mom's trust and have another person have financial power of attorney for his finances? The answer is yes, because mom's trust is not dad's property. It doesn't belong to him. It's property held in trust, maybe for his benefit, maybe for your benefit, maybe for both of you, but it's not his property. And because dad granted power of attorney to a cousin to handle his own personal finances, that doesn't give the cousin any control over handling the assets in mom's trust created when mom died. They're completely separate transactions and they don't overlap in any way. So um, hopefully that kind of answers the question for someone right there as to whether or not there is any um, 
um, there is any overlap because I think that's what the concern was from this person. All right. Out of Los Angeles, can I take ownership of a property that's in a trust through adverse possession if the trustor is still alive and behind on their taxes? Okay, well, let's unpack what is adverse possession. Adverse possession is a method to actually end up owning real estate here in California if you can fulfill the following conditions. You have to have paid the taxes on the property for the previous five years. You have to be occupying the property openly and notoriously, meaning you have to be there and everyone knows you're there because they can see you. Uh, you're not hiding out in some, some building on the property. You're going, coming and going, you're occupying it, and you're making it very clear. You're paying the taxes on the property. You've done that for five years. And, uh, and the owner has done nothing to get you off the property at all. After five years, you could actually go to court and request that the court award the property to you. Because now... If you were paying the taxes for the person because you agreed to pay the taxes, it won't work. If you were living on the property with the permission of the owner, you cannot adversely possess. You see, that kind of makes sense. If if someone says, you know, yeah, you can live here uh, instead of paying me rent, pay my property taxes, you're, you're actually living there and you are being permitted to live there which means you're not openly and notoriously occupying the property against the rights of the owner. So this person may have a claim for adverse possession, but the very specific requirements have to all be met for a court to declare it's now your property. Um, it's much more likely to happen if someone is an absentee owner of the property and the property's been abandoned, and someone moves in, and they start paying the taxes. Um, and the reason why we have adverse possession is because um, the law basically says we would like to have people owning property. We'd like to have people paying the taxes on property. And, and so we're going to give away for someone who actually has occupied the property and is paying the taxes, can eventually own the property, because then they have legitimate ownership and everything flows from that. So, moral of the story, if someone's squatting in a property that you own uh, and you're not paying the taxes, but the taxes are somehow being paid, you may be setting yourself up to lose that property down the line through an, a lawsuit for adverse possession. It has to go through the courts you can't just, like, go and have someone sign it over to you. The court has to declare that you actually own the property through adverse possession. I've never actually seen that in my practice. I'm sure there are some attorneys in the Bay Area that have handled matters like that. Um, this person is in Los Angeles. I can guarantee there are attorneys in Los Angeles that have 
pursued adverse possession actions on behalf of people living in a property and paying the taxes. So probably most of you out there just learned something new. It's possible to own a property if you find the right property, live there for five years openly, and you pay the tax bills. Um, so that's just something to consider right there. If you're looking for a home somewhere, you might be able to find a home that someone has pretty much abandoned and then move in, take it over, and eventually own it yourself and be a homeowner. Um, okay, so this is out of Stockton. It says, my sister died four days ago. This is dated August 20th, so basically last Friday. She signed and notarized a living trust September 29th, 2020, putting her house into her living trust. Okay, it says she mailed the trust, etc. not sure what the etc. is, to the county recorder's office in September 2020, assuming it was done. I checked county records through the title company, but the home is only in her name, not in the trust name. Well, I'll tell you, if she mailed the trust document to the county recorder, that's not going to do anything. You have to actually do a deed, not just sign a trust. You have to do a deed transferring the title into the trust. And it sounds like the sister just made a trust. The trust said, my house is in the trust. And then just send a copy of that trust to the recorder's office. That's not how you do it. So the question is, sister's home is in her name now. Am I forced to go through probate or is there some way of correcting this? Um, the proper way would likely be a Hegstat petition. Uh, you could likely petition the court, show them the trust, show them that she identified this property in the trust, and that would likely be sufficient written evidence of intent that the house be in the trust for the court to sign a court order declaring that it's in the trust. I do those kinds of petitions on a regular basis. I actually have uh, two pending right now in Alameda County. I'm about to file a third in Alameda County. Um, and I do them in Santa Clara County, San Mateo County, and Contra Costa County as well. Uh, so if you're faced with a situation like that and you're the trustee of the trust in one of those counties, give me a call, 408-247-0444, and we'll talk because I can probably solve that issue for you. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, I'll finish up today's episode of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of our show today. I'm going to finish up with some more questions and comments, and then maybe a little bit of commentary at the end of the show. Okay, here's uh, someone says, um, I live in California. My mother was in Section 8 housing. Section 8 housing is basically a housing program through the Department of Housing and Urban Development where you can actually live in housing and uh, the government will pay your rent directly to the landlord 
it's another uh, one of those programs, uh, kind of like um, SSI if you need income, uh, Medicare, um, actually Medi-Cal, which is the Medicaid program for health insurance, things like that. Um, I've been living with her for the past year and a half. She did not add me to her lease. I was taking care of her as her caregiver until she passed away two months ago. I'm still in the unit, but on the verge of being homeless because they denied the transfer of head of household over to me. I can't pay the rent, the amount the manager is asking. What do I do? Well, unless you can qualify for Section 8 housing yourself, uh, you're probably, unfortunately, going to end up homeless. Uh, If, in fact, you don't have assets and don't have resources, you need to go and apply for assistance yourself. Um, You know, basically Medi-Cal for health insurance. Um, Get uh, income if you're unable to work. Um, There there are programs out there that can help someone in your situation. But the one thing you can't do is just kind of sit around waiting for something to happen. You're going to have to act on that and see if you qualify for Section 8 housing. Okay, can the grantor of an irrevocable trust remove her house from the trust so it can go to her new husband? Huh. If there's a... I'm not sure why the house was put into an irrevocable trust. And if that was a trust that said it's going to pass to the previous husband... Um, the fact that the grantor creator of the trust remarried and wants it to go to her new husband doesn't make any difference whatsoever if the trust says it's going to go to someone else, whether it's the former husband or children or whatever it happens to be. You cannot just take the house out of an irrevocable trust and give it to somebody else because it's an irrevocable trust. Uh, you could go to court presumably, or have all the current beneficiaries, if the, if all the current beneficiaries agree, and you're in fact the creator of this trust, if you and all the current beneficiaries agree, you could modify the trust or you could cancel the trust and take the house out and give it to whomever you wish. But I get the sense from the question that that is not likely going to be something agreeable to the current beneficiaries of that house. Okay, here, my father and I created uh, documents in 2017 for a living trust, power of attorney, etc. He was in good mental health then. Now he's in a facility and has dementia. I am the sole beneficiary of my father on these estate planning documents and also the only one on the power of attorney. I need to add my brothers as beneficiaries to the will and living trust. How do I do this? There's really no way that you can add beneficiaries to your father's trust. Um, He's the only one that could do that. If he now has dementia and is no longer capable of doing that, he cannot sign any kind of documents changing or amending his trust. This person says, I need to do it before my father dies, as there are three of us, And they're pressuring to be on it now. So, how does a disclaimer work 
so were each one-third beneficiaries with my father's mental state declining. Does my father have to be deceased in order to do any of this? This is a real problem. I'll tell you right now. First of all, if you wanted to disclaim, say, two-thirds of the inheritance, you'd have to see what the trust says about where does the property go if you're not alive. If it says go to your issue and you have kids and you disclaim, it's going to go to your children. It's not going to go to your brothers. If it says uh, if you don't survive, it goes to your father's heirs under the law, well, that would be your two brothers. So then if you were to disclaim two-thirds interest, then, at least theoretically, it could go to your two brothers after your father died. But this is the kind of situation where you need to really have everything looked at carefully by an estate planning attorney. Uh, it might be possible to go to court to uh, have the trust modified to include your two brothers. If a court, if you can agree, uh, get a court to agree that that would be a good idea. Uh, it depends what county you're in. I suspect the court may not necessarily uh, entertain um, that kind of modification of your father's trust. Okay. So I got Okay, so it looks like we're uh, coming up on the end of the show today. I'll be back next Friday. I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Uh, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Uh, feel free to visit my website at lawbob.com if you'd like to book a consultation with me. There's a link to book a call. And I will talk to you again next Friday. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.